right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. I will echo what Ken said. Um, it was just really encouraging to hear the testimonies during the baptisms this morning. I know it was early, it's 9.30 in the morning, but um, for those of you who are there, I mean, wow, we get to see how amazing it is that um, our God works and our God changes us even in the midst of uh, just losing loved ones or cancer diagnoses or whatever challenges there might be. It's amazing just to see how the love of God really changes us and actually has such a profound effect on our lives. And today's passage, I think, is also a demonstration of that. Um, it's one of my favorite to preach from. It fits right into our series of the, the Triune God. I'll do some review after we've read the passage. But if you've got your Bibles, I'd like to start by reading the passage. It's a little bit long, so we've got a, there's a lot of verses to read, but it's important that we read it all in one big chunk to get started. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Matthew 18, and we are going to start in verse 21. It'll also be up here on the screen, um, but this is from Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, him being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the God who loves us so deeply and unconditionally. And God, that we can see how that love has just touched so many um, different brothers and sisters who shared with us in their testimonies today uh, during the baptisms. Lord, I know that's also true for many of us in our lives, in the ways that, God, your overwhelming love and grace has made such a difference in our lives. And Lord, I thank you for this passage because it is, though it is deeply thought-provoking, Lord, I pray that we can see that this, is, this parable that Jesus tells is meant to change the way we relate to one another. It's meant to change the way that we can forgive one another, that we can receive your forgiveness and show that same forgiveness to others. So would you open our minds and our hearts as we consider these words that we've read this morning? We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're just joining us, we've been in the middle of a couple month long series uh, regarding the triune God. We've been talking about how God has three persons, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. 
And so if we just do some quick review, we've seen in multiple ways how God the Father, the creator of all things, he is, he is the one who kind of lays down this, this uh, just environment and just this, um, this possibility that we could be loved and accepted unconditionally. And that's who God the Heavenly Father is. And then we talked about Jesus, the Son of God. Now we know that Jesus is obviously most famous for dying on the cross, resurrecting on the third day. And we talked about how that act, his, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his willingness to die for our sins still is covering our sins when we fall short today. And we know that because he, the Bible tells us Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, mediating for his people. It is because of his death on the cross, though he lived a perfect life, he gave his life for ours. And that one-time sacrifice has a multi-effect today when we sin over and over again, that he is constantly mediating for us, pleading our case to make us right with God so that we can be in relationship with God. And then we saw how the Holy Spirit is with us. And the Bible says that when we put our faith in God, at that point, the Holy, when we know that Jesus is our Savior and we believe that in our hearts and we confess that with our mouth, we then have the Holy Spirit inside of us to lead us and to guide us. And that is one way that God relates to us um, through the Holy Spirit. So I think this brings up a couple questions for us. We might ask, why three persons? Like, why is it Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Now, if we're asking, why is it only three I don't know. It falls into the camp of ask God when you see him face to face in heaven, because I don't have a good answer for that. But why is it these different beings, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I think it's actually very intentional that the Trinity, the Godhead, has a family relationship within it, because we know what family relationships are like. And granted, ours are not as perfect as it is in the Godhead, and that's where I think today's passage uh, applicationally is very important. But I think the fact that there's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that are part of the triune God, it shows us how relational God is. He's not just this distant, all-powerful being that's up in heaven controlling all things, and you know, maybe if we like, do the right thing, then he, then he will grant us favor. No, he relates with us on a very personal level, and that's why the Trinity is important. And so that's one question. We might ask, why? Like, why is the Godhead structured in this way? Why are there three beings? And again, I don't know why there's just three. Like, I, I don't know. You could have put other family members in there, but like that would start to get extremely blasphemous on my account if I said there's anything more than three. We see that in the Bible, right? But another question then I think that we ask then is, so why does it matter? Or so what? What does it mean that we have this relationship with the triune God? And I think that's where today's parable helps us see that God, in his being, his acceptance of us, and his relationship with us can start to change our relationships with one another. Um, if you guys know me, you know I always have three, well, not always, mostly I have three points. We're not doing that today. We're just going to go straight through the passage. Uh, verse Joshua looks so disappointed in me right now. Like, like I have to have three points. Did you just become my preaching professor? Like, what's going on? So we're just going to go through this passage because I think it's deeply thought-provoking. And the meaning of it will become obvious to us as we go deeper into this. So if we get right into it, in verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, he's asking Jesus, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Now, this is in the context of a bigger block of teaching that Jesus is doing. 
But the, the first several verses, verses 21 and 22, is kind of the intro into the parable, and Jesus uses the parable as his answer. But even those first two verses that provide the setting for where Jesus tells this parable is very important. Because Peter says, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Up to seven times? Now, before we go any deeper, and we're going to get into the deep meanings of this parable, it is really hard for us to forgive one person for the same fault seven times. Let me go deeper than that. It is really hard for us to forgive the same person for the same fault that they commit against us two times. And we might even say it's really hard for us to forgive one time. And so when Peter says, like, Jesus, if I, I, I think if we could get into the mind of Peter, he's thinking, Jesus, if I forgive someone seven times, aren't I being really good? Aren't I doing it right? Like, aren't I really a gracious and forgiving person? And I love Jesus's response. Because what does Jesus say? He says, now, granted, like, if I'm in Peter's shoes, like, it's a good question, because I have a really hard time forgiving people. Like, if it's like if someone does something, like I could find some forgiveness in my heart if they do it once. But if you do it more than once, it's like, come on, like, do, like, learn from it, do something different. And yet, Jesus says, not seven times, 77 times. Some of your translations may say something even more shocking that says what? Anyone know? 70 times seven? Have we heard that phrase before? In some translations, that is how the biblical authors translated this. Not as 77. It could be based on what their eyewitnesses that they're basing their accounts off of heard. But let's go. Quick maths. What's 70 times 7? 490. We got some smart people over here. It's like, I don't know if there's a, like, in what lifetime could we forgive someone 490 times for something? That's crazy. And so we're going to see how into the parable the numbers matter because they tell us a really thought-provoking story about forgiveness. But that's Peter's question. And I think Peter asks the question because forgiveness is hard. When someone hurts us, it is hard to forgive because we feel that emotional hurt. And yet, in the context of relationships here, that's why this passage is so important for us. And I think there's an amazing truth that Jesus wants to communicate to Peter, but not Peter's not the only one present. The other disciples are around hearing this teaching. And it's, it's a parable that they're meant to hear about the purpose of forgiveness. So then Jesus explains his answer before Peter can even be like, what, 77 times, 490 times? Jesus, you're crazy. Before he can even go into that, Jesus then starts to tell a parable. And he says this in verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So what is the backdrop of what this parable is about? Jesus is saying this is describing heaven. And now as we get in to meet the characters in this parable, they are meant to show us a metaphor of what heaven is really like, in a sense, like the kingdom of God. And so then here's the situation. Um, this, now, this is where the numbers start to come in and the, the financial part of it. So it's like, it's not saying this is what heaven is, but he's saying this is what it's like. It's like a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, if this is the kingdom of heaven, who must the king be? God, right? Like, so the, the king figure in this parable is meant to represent who God is. And so it says then, as he's settling accounts, people who owe him money, 
When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, in our, um, in our modern day like thinking, we don't know the amount that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Okay? We are not living in the ancient Near East. We don't know the, the uh, things of measurement. That's where our footnotes can help us. But for us to understand what Jesus is saying, the way his original audience would have understood it, we got to do some historical context and digging to understand what is this number of 10,000 talents. So if we could go to the next slide. One talent at this time, where, where are we at? Is it not there? There we go. One talent would be equivalent to 20 years salary, okay? I see some like jaws dropping over there, all right? People are doing the calculations. So what that means then is when Jesus says 10,000 talents, that means 200,000 years salary. Now, if you go back to Genesis, people lived a long time, but they didn't live 200,000 years, right? That's crazy, okay? Now, so in order to put this into real dollar amounts, I chose a profession that I'm somewhat familiar for. I, you know, I volunteer at Bret Hart Middle School. I have friends who are teachers there. Um, I'm going to say that um, it's actually higher than this now, but just for the sake of argument, we're going to say that the average San Jose Unified like, teacher salary is like 90K, right? That's, that's a pretty good amount of money. So then if we were to do the math based on a San Jose Unified middle school teacher salary, 200,000 years of salary would be $18 billion is what the amount Jesus is talking about. It's important for us to go through this calculation here because if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying and how these amounts fit into the parable and the metaphor, we got to know the numbers. And so in other words, Jesus is saying it's an astronomical amount that you could never repay. And that makes the parable that much more like striking in terms of the details that Jesus uses. Because you start to think like, how did bro rack up an $18 billion debt? Like, this is crazy. Like, we're Asian, we make good financial decisions. We can't relate to this level of debt. We invest, we know what we're doing with our money, right? So to think about that kind of debt, I'm only half Asian, so I have more understanding of debt, I think, than many of you. But, you know, student loans and the credit card era and all those things. But um, trust me, I'm not that irresponsible. But, but anyway, that's not the point. We cannot relate to an $18 billion debt. None of us can. I got into pretty good debt when I was in seminary because student loans were expensive. But we can't relate to this level of debt. But if we're going to equate this to the idea of something being forgiven, because remember, that's the context. It's in the context of forgiveness. I think we often, I, I think, I'll share an example of this, of a way that I think I've experienced this, but I think we can experience ways where relationally, we know there are debts we might owe that are hard to be repaid. And let me tell you a story about that. And so it's not about the money part of it, but when it comes to something being forgiven, um, I remember having a conversation with several brothers in Christ. We were just hanging out after church, and we were joking around with each other, and the joking kind of got out of hand to the point where I had said something that was kind of personal about one of my close friends that I knew that was just totally inappropriate to say that I knew, like, in the moment, he, he kind of just, like, shrugged it off, and it wasn't a huge deal in that moment. But I knew as soon as I had said it, I knew I had hurt this person really deeply, really badly. And as I went home, I thought, man, like, that was so wrong of me to say 
Like, I don't know if our friendship is going to recover from this because that was way out of line for me to like kind of poke fun at a very like sensitive and important like kind of area of his life that was difficult for him. And so for me to say that, like that was a relational debt that could have created just like the end of our friendship. Like if he had said like, I don't want to deal with you anymore, in hindsight, after knowing what I had said and how that had hurt him, I would understand because I was wrong in that moment. And that was a debt to the relationship that could have like totally ended our friendship in that moment. Now, fortunately, this, this friend of mine is also a believer and he understands the grace of God and the forgiveness that we need in order to function relationally. And, and you know, today we're, we're good, we're totally fine, although there'll be more small details about how this fits into our relationships as we go. We may not know what it means to owe $18 billion. But we know there are things that we've done in our lives that are wrong, that are hard to receive forgiveness for. There are hurtful words that we can speak in the course of relationships, or there's hurtful actions that can take place. And this, remember, this fits in because it's all in the context of forgiveness. And so when we put it that way, we may not know what it's like to owe $18 billion. We may not know what it means to owe that much money at all. But when we think about this being a metaphor in heaven, we know what this is meant to represent is it's meant to show us that we fall short of God's glory time and time again. There are many things that we do in our lives that are wrong. And if that's something we haven't come to grips with, if we think we've lived our lives in a pretty good way and we're pretty good people and we haven't felt like, you know, we've needed to receive forgiveness in that way, the gospel's going to be really hard for us to understand at that point. But in that moment, for me to receive forgiveness from my friend when I knew I didn't deserve it, what a picture of what the grace of God is all about. And that's what these dollar amounts are meant to represent. So let's keep going. Verse 25. Since he could not pay, obviously, because no one had $18 billion back then, Jesus is being intentionally, like, you know, exaggerative in how he describes this to show for the purpose of explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the result of that is this servant, because he can't pay $18 billion, the sentence is he and his family, they've got to be sold, I don't know, into servitude or something, or they have to pay off their debt in this way. And it's a life-altering thing for them in a negative way. So what does this servant do then? In verse 26, the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Which is a pretty crazy statement because it's like, I don't know what plan he's forming in his head to think that like, he's going to like, figure out how to pay off $18 billion. But we can understand if we're in that level of like, difficulty in our lives, we might do anything to beg for like, you know, our freedom or just our livelihood or whatever it might be. So his response makes sense from that standpoint, right? And what does the king do? Or what does the master here that settling accounts do? Verse 27 is an amazing verse because it says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The words forgave the debt, we need to be very precise about that because that's an important phrase because what it's not saying is it's not saying, okay, now you have, here's your payment plan. Here's your extension of when you can pay off these $18 billion. No, the debt was forgiven. It was paid off. Now, for me, when my friend was willing to still accept me, even though I had done something that really hurt him very deeply, 
I felt such a great sense of relief. I think that would pale in comparison to what this servant does when he has this $18 billion debt, like just canceled, not an extension of how to pay it off, but canceled. He doesn't owe it anymore. And that's meant to show that just like you can see the symbolism here, that's meant to show just how gracious our God is in forgiving us over and over again. Now, what does this servant do then after receiving this forgiveness? Verse 28, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Now, we did it with the talents because again, we're not living in the ancient Near East. We need to understand the amounts that are here. What is a hundred denarii? You might have some footnotes in your, oh, we got a, we got a hand, what is it? Denarii is one day's wage. Did you see that before that went up or did you Google it or, or footnotes? Okay, good, good. You're using your footnotes. And as a side note, that is what our footnotes in the Bible are there for. It puts us in the seat of the original audience to know exactly what Jesus is saying. And that's where it's important. So if we go back to our calculations, um, remember that 10,000 talents was, you know, 200,000 years salary. But a quick calculation, and this might, I think this is close enough, but it's like, um, you know, I, I, like, I didn't want to do all the work to figure out, like, what's the daily wage of this teacher that makes 90K? Like, how do you factor in, like, holidays and, like, summers off and all that? So, like, you know, I did my best, but it was a quick calculation. But essentially what they're getting paid is, like, roughly $428 and change per day, right? And then there's a multiplied by how many school days, and that's how you come out with 90K. If you want to check my math on that, I failed math in college, so there may be a mistake. But for the sake of argument, here's the point. Okay, so 100 denarii, as Daniel Dye correctly pointed out, one denarius is a day's wage. So in this case, using a teacher's salary, 428 and change. And then 100 denarii, so multiply it by 100, and you get into five digits, right? $42,857, you know, not a small amount of money. Okay, like $42,000 today, even in today's inflated economy, is still a lot of money, right? So what this servant was owed by the other servant, it's not a small amount, but it completely disregards the fact that he was forgiven $18 billion, not an extension. He's going after this guy as if he still has to pay off the $18 billion, like he doesn't realize that the, the debt was completely forgiven. But he goes out, forgiven of $18 billion, and demands that someone pays him the 42 k that they owe him. And what this is meant to represent for us is when we experience the amazing grace that God shows us when we sin and fall short over and over again, how can we then go and demand forgiveness from others or, la or just lack the ability to forgive others when God has forgiven us so much more? Now, I recognize like that's not an easy thing for us to work out in our minds and in our hearts and in our actions on a daily basis because when we are wronged, it hurts. There is relational pain that comes from when we sin against one another. And yet this passage, Jesus is trying to show the forgiveness that we receive from God in the, in the kingdom of God is not something that we should go, then go and demand from others or hold on to the hurt saying, this person owes me in this way, the way that the servant is doing it. And so verse 29, the fellow servant falls down and pleaded with him and says, have patience with me and I will pay you. 
And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, as they should be. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Now, I realize that in the course of relationships, this, these amounts, I think, are actually extremely important for us to think about. Because as I mentioned, like for this friend of mine who's forgiven me, at least in my mind, of a debt that was really substantial, like something that could have like ended our friendship, the amazing thing about relationships is we have drama, we have challenges, we have conflict, it happens. It happens in our family relationships, it happens in our friend relationships, and when I think about my relationship with this friend, since this time that happened, it was, I can't remember the exact time, but it was roughly, it was more than five years ago, it's been a while, does that mean like because like I've received this like, you know, just incredible gesture of grace from him that we've never fought like since then? And the answer is of course not. Because in the course of human relationships, these 42K kind of like conflicts come up over and over and over again where we do have trouble forgiving one another. But the point is to always look back and remember how much we have been forgiven by our heavenly father and to live from that place. And that's why to the fellow servants, they are shocked when they see that this person who had that this servant who had been forgiven an $18 billion debt would then go and insist on this 42K debt to be paid with no grace, with no mercy, but throwing them into prison the same way that he was thrown into prison when he owed the $18 billion debt. So the forgiven servant who has this debt completely forgiven refuses. And then what does the master do? The master summons him and says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, the conclusion of this, I think, is pretty shocking for us because we might think if the master who's meant to represent God is so gracious that he forgives the $18 billion debt, wouldn't he forgive him again even after doing this? And I think the way that Jesus tells this parable is meant to show us the, the applicable force that this parable is supposed to have. And if we think about the Bible as a whole and how gracious God is, does God always forgive us when we fall short? And scripturally, we would say the answer is always yes. But if we choose not to forgive in the way that this servant was not willing to forgive, I really believe that these last couple of verses are there to show us that we kind of put ourselves in a type of prison when we live our lives in this way, with a lack of forgiveness. We are inviting the forces of this world, the forces of like, you know, transactional, like not grace-based, but like an eye for an eye or what is fair. Because remember, what this servant received was not fair in his favor. And yet I think Jesus ends this way to show us the danger of living a life where we do not forgive. It unleashes the forces of chaos into our relationships. It is like being in a prison. And I think that's why Jesus ends this parable the way it does. And he is imploring, Jesus is imploring his disciples to see that the gospel, the, 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 the main tenant in the kingdom of God is to show us just how forgiveness and grace has to rule the day. And that's how this passage ends.
And so for us then today, if we're asking, so what? Why does this passage matter for us today? If we can think of ways that God has deeply forgiven us. I shared a couple weeks back as a part of this series how I felt very like how I felt like I would be completely alienated from God in the same way that I was with my friend based on, I'll I'll go back and retell the story if you weren't here. But when I was in high school um, and I was on a club hockey team where we practiced Sundays, uh, one day a friend asked me if if it was weird that we practiced on Sunday because I wasn't going to church. And in that moment, eager to win the acceptance of my teammates, rather than like, you know, claim that like I used to go to church or whatever, I decided to say that doesn't mean anything to me. That's something my family did, but now I'm here with you guys. And that wasn't true. I still had a relationship with God. But in that moment, the approval from my teammates meant so much more to me than actually saying what I really felt and believed in my heart. And after that, I just went home feeling terrible. And the fact that God would forgive me and not just like, I went into, a couple weeks later was our youth retreat. It used to be at the start of summer, not the end of summer. Things are different now. But I went there thinking like, I don't belong here. I've just kind of disowned my faith. I've disowned God. Like I've denied my faith the way Peter did multiple times. And you know, like how could God love and accept me? And yet when I went to that retreat, expecting to feel some sort of judgment from God, because that's what I was expecting, the, the experience I had was nothing but grace and experiencing God's love through the songs, through the relationships with friends, through the messages that we heard, because that's who our God is. Our God is the one who forgives that $18 billion debt. And so because that's who he is, then if we think about the triune God and the ways we've thought about God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, this parable and what it's meant to teach us about how much, how important it is that we need to forgive one another. You can see it on display in the Trinity as well. From the Heavenly Father's perspective, you see that picture of God in the prodigal son story. That this deep forgiveness that comes, that, it, that exercises itself in the complete forgiveness of this astronomical debt, it's the same kind of forgiveness you see on display in Luke 15 when the prodigal son comes home. We talked about that passage when we talked about who God the Father is. And when Jesus died on the cross, though he lived the perfect life none of us could live and died the death that we should die for the penalty of our sins, he did it out of his great love for us. And so today, when we struggle with forgiveness, Jesus is still there at the right hand of God, mediating for us, trying to, giving us the forgiveness that we need in order that we might be able to show that to others. And the Holy Spirit is there to lead us to experience God's forgiveness and to actively forgive others. See, Jesus uses these amounts to show, I think, how costly forgiveness is. I think the 18 billion and the 42K, it's it's by no mistake. And that's what I am not trying to say through the meaning of this parable is to say that forgiveness is easy. I know that it is hard. And I can, I'm so thankful that time and time again, I get pointed back to this passage because every time I end up preaching on this passage, I spoke on this passage at a retreat a couple months ago, but prior to that, it had been several years. I realized I need to read this passage over and over again to see, like, over time to check my heart and see, man, what grudges am I holding at this moment? Who am I struggling to forgive? Because as humans, it's hard. That's why Jesus uses that amount. He's not saying you're, like, you're not forgiving these $1 debts. Like that's not, it's still 42K is a costly amount because when we hurt each other, it, it, it still affects us. 
And so I'm not trying to say this is easy. But what this parable is showing us from the heart of who God is, when we really experience the forgiveness that God has given us, it sets us free to then forgive others in our lives. So I want to finish by just asking us two questions today. If we're asking why the Trinity, we discussed that earlier. You can ask God why there's three when we get to heaven. That's, you know, that's fine. But so what, what does it matter for us in our lives today? If we think about the conflicts that we experience, this relationship with the triune God could not be more important because forgiveness is so important in our lives today. So I want us to just end by considering two questions this morning. And so while we do this, I would love for us to bow our heads and close our eyes so we can think about this um, as we think about the forgiveness that we've received and how we can show it to others. And I just want to ask us two simple questions this morning to reflect on. What is one way that we know God has forgiven us? What is one way that you know God has forgiven you in your life? It could be a one-time event that happened recently. It could be victory over some sin or addiction that takes place in our lives. But can we take a moment and reflect on ways that we have been forgiven? And before we move on to the second question, can we take a moment and just thank our Heavenly Father for forgiving us in this way? And then second and last question for us to reflect on this morning. Who is someone that I need to forgive today? Is there a grudge that I've been holding on to? Is there, is there someone in our lives that needs our forgiveness? And it's hard, as we've said, forgiveness is hard. And can we ask that God would help lead us? That it wouldn't just be done because it's something that we heard here at church this morning. It's gotta come from a place of our hearts. But can we ask that God would help us and that the Holy Spirit that we've talked, at, uh, talked about at length would be with us to help forgive and be gracious to someone else. God, we thank you that you are this king that we've read about in this parable this morning. God, though we sin over and over again, God, you are so gracious, you're so compassionate. God, that you forgive us over and over again. And Lord, though it is hard because we are human and we see a world that doesn't show a lot of forgiveness, we see a world that is very transactional, 
that is very an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. God, I pray that we would see that we can experience the kingdom of heaven, not when we're with you for all eternity, not only when we're with you for all eternity, but here and now, when we can live out the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. God, we know that forgiveness is hard. And so, Lord, that's why we ask that your Holy Spirit would be leading and guiding us to soften our hearts, to have the same kind of compassion that the master had for the first servant that owed such a great debt. God, may we receive your forgiveness for the ways that you have shown us your grace and your mercy. And God, for those in our lives that are difficult to forgive, I pray, God, that we would let go of holding on to just the hardness of heart, the unwillingness to forgive, and God, that you would show us what it means to be gracious and compassionate in the ways that you have been with us. So God, we thank you that we can learn from this parable that you have shown us. And God, I pray that this would show us that you can set us free in our relationships with one another and that we can experience the goodness of that in our lives. So we thank you for your word and how it speaks into our lives this morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.